Hello, welcome to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from the beach below the 16th green, Abandoned Dunes, wondering if I could possibly play one up the bluff if I caught it just right, just thin enough. And this is Season 5, Episode 7. This is the third offering of the Americans in Oregon series, featuring Matt, Fred, and I, discussing the highlights, lowlights, and northern lights of our trip to the Oregon coast last summer. This is the Bandoned Dunes episode, the one about the original course at the Bandoned Dunes Resort, the OG, the one that started it all. It started it all for putting Oregon on the map uh, as a golf destination. It started it all for the Kaiser family, whose family golf empire is responsible for, I don't know, two handfuls of the best courses built of the last quarter century. For David McClay Kidd, the son of a Scottish greenskeeper who's Journey has seen him build golf courses all over the world for the concept of fun as the primary characteristic of a golf course instead of difficulty. And the start for a new type of destination golf, far from the things of man. Uh, build it and they will come philosophy, uh, but a golf version. That all started at the Bandon Dunes Golf Course, and we had a great time sharing our thoughts and memories for you all. Stick around at the end of the show to get Matt's expert analysis of the prominent beer selections on tap and bottled at Bandon Dunes. He's the only one of the three of us that has any experience brewing beer, so I defer to his wisdom and recollection. Just a note about the show this week. Uh, it may not have been completely fair, but I spend a fair bit of time comparing Bandon Dunes to two other things, two specifically. One, other David McClay Kid courses that we've played. You, for reference, you can see the past episodes in the archives about Mammoth Dunes in Wisconsin and the Castle Course in St. Andrews. And two to the other courses at the Bandon Dunes Resort. A little course-against-course course comparison is really just a natural byproduct of having five world-class golf courses on the same property. In retrospect, I doubt those comparisons probably are useful to all but a small subset of our listeners, but nonetheless, I hope... It might help you understand mine and my guys' journey through golf, from novice hackers scraping the ball around with their buddies on the weekends to guys that think and care deeply about how, why, and where we choose to play these days. Anyway, thanks in advance for listening. I truly mean that. Uh, before we dive in, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is made possible without commercial interruption or the influence of illegal narcotics by my day job as David Hill Realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. I help people sell their houses and find their new homes as well as helping investors and businesses with their commercial property needs here in Central Kentucky. It's always a good time to be a homeowner, and with interest rates currently hanging tough and hanging steady, if you want to know more about what's happening in our market or want to get ahead of the curve and in front of the spring rush, please reach out. You can email me at davidhill at rhr.com or reach me by phone at 859-333-4517, and I'll be happy to start a conversation with you. Bandon Dunes is an incredible golf course. One thing that I hope comes through in our conversation is that the golf course is incredibly fun and playable, though that does not necessarily equate to easy, per se. There's plenty of challenge, beauty, and interest abound, and it's a course I very much look forward to playing again, eventually. So here we go, without further delay, Fred, Matt, and I. Um, we're reconvening our uh, Americans in Oregon series. Uh, today we're talking Bandon Dunes Golf Course, the original, the OG. It is the one that started it all. 
uh, 18 holes uh, strewn across the sandy hills there on the Oregon coast from our friend David McClay kid. Um, Fred, I'll start with you. When, when did you become aware of this mythical course and this mythical resort out on the far Oregon shores and, uh, and what David McClay kid had created? Do you remember, was there a, a moment it came into your golf consciousness? Um, yeah. And I think that it goes back to our, our trip, um, at, to Scotland. And as we were, uh, riding the bus back into St. Andrews and I was mumbling about what a jackass, whoever built that course was, you guys had brought up the fact that, um, it was kid and, you know, he was, uh, I think he had just built, I think it had just been done by that point. Right. Like, uh, it was already done. Oh yeah, abandoned dudes. Was 19, 1999. Oh wow, I didn't realize it was that long ago. But it turns, yeah, so, it turns twenty five this year. Oh, good for it. That's a good year. Um, yeah. So that's about the time I I I uh, I became aware of it probably. Um, and then obviously, you know, once we were talking about doing trips and stuff and hanging out with you guys and talking about other golf courses other than the ones that you know I'm playing around here. Um, that's when it started to become a little more, more of a thing. And then obviously the amateur, you know, that helped a lot. Um, but, uh, but I think that's probably when I first started really knowing about it or let's, let's rephrase it, Dave. Um, it started to care about, uh, who built a course and what other courses, uh, an architect had built. That really wasn't something that I was super focused on, you know, before what? six or seven years ago, probably. Yeah. So that's probably fair. What about you, Matt? What was, you know, I know you, one of your white whales is whistling straights. That's, you know, that's not Pinehurst for Midwesterners. Um, this thing out on the Oregon coast, when did it make it onto the bucket list uh, to make a, a guy's trip out there worthy? Yeah, I would say probably even a little bit after Fred, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not as in the know on, I don't, I don't keep up with stuff quite as much as you guys do. So I, it probably was a little bit later, um, but it was probably, you know, at least a few years before we went out there. You know, for me, as someone that's part of the golf, ner the golf course nerdery a little bit on the periphery of that community, um, you know, Bandon Dunes kind of flew under the radar for a while. I think once they added, Pacific Dunes was next. Um, and it, you know, you, you've seen how spectacular it is, and it just instantly got rave reviews. Um, and, you know, a second course out there made it a destination. You know, you get two days of play out of that. So I think the general public started taking note of abandoned dunes. Probably, you know, you could probably still easily get a tee time well into the 2010s out there. Um, you know, Matt, 1999, when that place was built, that was the peak of, you know, the tiger boom was exploding. We had been building a golf course a day for 20 years at that point. Um, it was peak championship course. Come see our championship course, you know, seven, 7,200 yards, five sets of tees. Um, Reese Jones, Pete Dye, Tom Fazio. Those were the it, the it guys. Um, the three, the three gods of golf course architecture and they were harder was better. You know, I had this in my, my talk with Ethan uh, recently that 
there was a time when when your golf course wasn't good unless it was unbelievably hard, like miserably hard. Um, my welcome to hard golf moment was up in Chicago at the uh, Dubs Dread up there. Uh, it's a Reese Jones redid it, and it's just miserable. I, I wasn't a good enough golfer to play it. The hook for Bandon Dunes was it was much like, you know, poor Crenshaw wasn't, you know, people knew about Kapalua, but they, you know, the width angles, that sort of things. When McClay Kidd built Bandon Dunes, it was super counterculture. It was revolutionary in that it was Lynx golf with some American improvements, wider, shorter, more fun. That was the whole mantra. Um, is that what you found out there that after, you know, that was our second round after old Mac is that, would you describe Bandon dunes that way? I think so. Um, I think it's, it, it is, it is hard, right? It is hard in a different way than a lot of those from the time of harder is better. Um, because, you just don't have that kind of natural topography on the side of the ocean. I mean, you had Pebble Beach, and it, but that's it's different, right? Um, and yeah, I think the, the the moments that I had out there, I, we talked about it um, at you know the at Old Mac. It was like the third or fourth hole. It was like, oh, now I get it. And then I we went to Bandon that afternoon. And it was like, no, no, now I get it. Like it, you kept having an additional epiphany of, oh, this is this is what they're talking about. This is the wind rolling in off the off the ocean. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's I think I think all of that is fair. It's it is hard, but it's not the punishingly hard that you could have. It's not unfair hard. It's just, I don't, I've never played at a place like this hard. Fred, what about you? Your says, you know, it's a place without rough. All of the, the greens are where all of the interest in the contours, you know, the fairway contours, yeah. those dunes are where a lot of the interest is generated. Did you find wider, shorter, and funner to be good golf out there? Uh, absolutely. Um, I will say that wider for sure. Um, off the tee, you know, it was wide. You had a lot of room. Um, it Again, I, I just made a comparison a little bit ago, but or brought it up anyway. Uh, it's very wide. It's very, very reminiscent of the Lynx golf that we played, you know, when we when we went to Scotland. Very wide. Um, but I noticed that, you know, as you said, with some with, uh, with some American tweaks or whatever, I felt that as you got closer to the green, um it was uh, you had um, less area to miss. Let's say it kind of kind of spooned you down a little bit. Uh, the first hole, I think, is a great example of that. Right? It's that like really hard dog leg to the right. If I'm remembering correctly, correct. Yes. You you have you have you know everything. It looks like in front of you, you have a big dune on on the left. You have some houses and stuff on the right, but. I mean, even as a fader of the golf ball, I felt like that wasn't even in play, right? I mean, it, you had you had all the room in the world to hit it out there. 
Um, and then when you come around that corner and you see that little green perched up there, like you said, there's not a lot of rough, um, but it was enough to find a bad lie, but not enough to keep your ball out of, you know, rolling, you know, 45 yards <laughs> away from the green as well. So it was kind of a, you didn't know what to hope for. Right. I mean, the only place that, you know, you felt walking up to the green that you understood what you had in front of you until you got there was if you were on the green. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, but it was very playable, you know, to bring in, you know, short game shots and stuff like that. If you did miss, uh, there was chances that, you know, you could hit it close, but you never knew what you had and you, and you kind of had multiple options. You kind of got to choose what you wanted to do. So it did bring in the fun part of it, but, but I will say that some of those holes were not so short when, when you were playing into that wind or that wind was, um, surprisingly, if it was kind of quartering, you know, kind of quarter into you, man, that, that really affected the flight of the ball. Um, I, I noticed that a lot. And I think that we had talked about that a little bit before that it was just that, that, uh, breeze off of the ocean was just so heavy, you know, with that moisture and I mean, it just like, it would beat a golf ball up in my opinion anyway. Well, and I, as a, as a bad golfer, I found myself swinging hard a lot. Who who told you to who told you to do that? Nobody. That's why I said as a bad golfer, that's what I was doing. And it was one of those, and I I feel like it was a situation where I wasn't playing badly, but I wasn't playing real, I wasn't really hitting it solid. And if you don't really hit it solid, the you know, the wind affects it a little bit more, knocks it down a little bit more. And now all of a sudden, instead of having a, a six iron in, you've got a four iron in or something like that. And it's a little bit uphill, and you're still hitting it into that wind. And so, yeah, I found it banned in as short as it is, and you're not wrong. It's not super long. I still felt like I was swinging really damn hard. No, it is yeah. that we got a full dose of that wind. That, you know, the if Old Mac that morning, our first morning was introduction to the kind of the coast, you know, Old Mac it does not play along the coastline. You're inland, you're a little bit protected. Um, and it's the morning. The wind is not up. The wind picks up in the afternoon. So we got the, I, if I'm remembering correctly, we did get the full treatment in the afternoon. Um, you know, that, um, yeah, the, the swing easy if it's breezy. It's so hard when you've got, you know, you can't see the putting surface or you've got a little bunker to carry. Not a whole one, but, you know, that the flag's tucked and it, there's a corner and, you know, this and you're trying to control it and it, it's, it could be infuriating. Um, Brad, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to give you a, a little true-false quiz here. True or false, Fred, Bandon Dunes was a tougher walk than the Castle Course in St. Andrews. Uh, false. Okay. I, I figured that because you had such vitriol for the way you felt after uh, the Castle Course. True or false, <laughs> Bandon Dunes was a much easier golf course than the castle course at St. Andrews. True. Okay. And then the last one, Bandon Dunes was a much more memorable course than the castle course at St. Andrews. False. Okay. That's, I would kind of agree. Explain your answer to that one a little bit. Uh, the the holes um at the castle course were 
were were very dynamic. Um, you know, there was I think there was I don't want to say there was more coast uh coastline experience there, but um there I think that uh forget I, one of the closing holes on the front nine. Um maybe nine itself was a short little par four. I would play that hole like every day, I believe, if I could. Um and uh, the reason it was short was, you know, it was kind of downwind, you know, that wind was pushing off of the water on the on the left. And then uh, how however fun and enjoyable that hole was, uh, 17 was the exact opposite um, expressway to hell. Um, for, for listeners, let me refresh the memory that our, our Castle Course experience, who is, which is the other David McClay kid course that we've played together, uh, seven, eight and nine there. Uh, kind of trickled down the coastline back to the clubhouse. We played it with the wind at our back. It was very fun. Um, 17 and 18 on the home stretch, you're coming directly back into a two to three club win. 17 is, in my mind, is almost like an homage to, is it 16 at Cypress Point, where it's a par three. For this one, it's a par three that is, for me, was full three wood. Uh, I think Fred was driver into the wind and all carry. Like if you didn't make it, your ball you know found its way down to the water, and eighteen was right into that same wind. So it created. Uh, I I say that's you know one of the best par threes. I I just like the challenge, but it's love it or hate it. You remember it. You remember the six. I think it's the sixth green at the castle. It's got the green that they've had to soften two or three times. Where if you got up above the hole, you literally could not get the. You could putt from the top of the green, and it, you had no chance. It was literally, you know, maybe you get down in three, um, which is memorable. Love it or hate it is a very memorable shot. Uh, and so I just wanted to throw that refresher in there for listeners, because I think you're right, Fred. I think Bandon Dunes blends together so nicely, and it's a, a gentler walk. Um, and it's not, you you weren't losing golf balls out there. And, but it, you know, the outside of, you know, for me, um, and I'll get to Matt with this in a, in a second. There are a couple of memorable holes in kind of the TV stretch. There were more thorns that stuck out at the castle course. And it was famously derided by golf and Lynx purists because he made a very difficult kind of narrow golf course in St. Andrews where, you know, the old course is the course that you can play down either fairway. And Bandon Dunes was a little, was like that, was receptive. So they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum in my mind. So I just wanted to lay that little refresher out there for people. But but Fred, yeah, what what did you remember from what do you remember from Bandon Dunes? Anything specifically? Um, uh, I I remember that that closing stretch. Um, what is it? Uh, I think it starts on fifteen, uh, sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. Um, isn't there uh, like a shorter par four? 16 is the drivable par four. Right. Before that, isn't there another one or is it a par? F I'm sorry. I cannot remember, but uh, uh, there's a couple holes before like maybe, maybe 14. Yeah. 14 gets you out to the coast. Yeah. You kind of coming up from kind of coming up the hill and then 15 is a par three, short par three to the coast. And then you come back. Yeah. Yeah, so that um that par three that par three I liked it. It was um I think I think for me the the holes like the like you would say the TV holes or whatever that stand out would probably start you know halfway through that back nine, um and it, it kind of dramatically builds up to seventeen. 
of course, you know, um, 18, uh, I tell you from watching the, the amateur and, you know, the other events that have the big events that have been held out there, um, uh, 18, 18 loses a little something on, on film or on TV. Um, it didn't quite capture, uh, you know, how, how far back you are on that second shot and the end is 18 and um, just how much that ball wants to leak over there toward that big waste area and, and toward where we were staying um, uh, where our, uh, where our little uh, the end there yeah. rooms and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, and that green is ginormous. Um, it, I 18 probably, you know, I, I know it gets you back to the clubhouse 17 is probably, you know, the, the scorecard hole, right. That gets printed, but, um, don't, don't sleep on 18 because if you make your way to the 18th tee and you have something there, uh, a good score going, it, it could easily be lost quickly on, uh, on 18. I think people overlook it after you have that dramatic short par four drivable par four and you lose some focus, maybe standing on that tee on 18 and, um, it'll bite you. Matt, I, I want to set you up this way. You know, I think that course is routed well. It's not, you know, people uh, heap praise on Pacific Dunes, the the course we played the next day for its magnificent routing, making the most of the course. I thought Bandon Dunes was was routed really well. You get the, like you say, you get the wind, as Fred mentioned, you get a quarter of that wind, you get a vector, not something directly behind you. It's not links. You're not going out where the wind is either with you or against you and then just the opposite direction in. It, it You know, you, you use... A lot of different angles. There are seven-ish holes that either play two away or along the coast. So it does make use. You know, for me, the member, the first memorable moment, my welcome to Bandon Dunes was the fourth hole. Uh, nice little short par four where you hit it out, and then you look once you crest the top of the fairway, you look down, and there's that green. It's the first chance you get to see the ocean on this on this particular routing. You've got that green. Uh, stuck there in kind of in between the dunes. That was my um, welcome to abandoned dunes. That was my most memorable visual outside and outside of the literal TV holes. Like, um, you know, I watched the open there that that closing stretch, which a lot of the matches made it to 16, 17 and 18. Um, so I dumped mine in the bunker there on four made double didn't care. It was just a really cool. I love a reveal. You know, it's the blind shots podcast. So every time, anytime I can, what it reminded me of Matt Cheney was something like that was playing um, the Jubilee where we were out there, 16 out there where you, you're not sure where quite to hit it because the dunes are so big and all of a sudden you turn a corner and there's, Oh, like I had, that was, that was my moment. What was your abandoned dunes moment? Um, four is obviously up there. I love the idea of if you hit it over the green, you just hit it in the ocean. Right. Because it there's a little bit of room behind it, not very much, but you don't see any of that. Yeah. Right. Like it is it is like this thing is an infinity pool perched right on the end of the ocean. Right. It just it's like it disappears to nothing. Um, I thought that was, you know, that was a, a very cool moment. I really I liked 16 a lot. Um, because again, it's how aggressive do you want to be? You know, it it really gives you that shot because it it's not even if you hit it straight up the you know straight up the coast but you've got to carry something if you go straight up the coast 
right? So the further yeah. inland you play, the obviously the safer it is, but it's exponentially safer. Um, but the reward, if you're up there close, is is high uh, because it's not. If you play it safe and leave yourself forty or fifty yards out the other side, it's not an easy little shot coming back in there. Um, so I, I, it's high risk, but I think very high reward. Um, so, you know, I, I think that one was, that was another one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is, this is really cool. This is one of those, you've got this spot on the earth and you're, you're making the most of it. Correct. And it was, you're looking at three guys that made par on 16. I've got the scorecards here. Um, and I took an interesting route. I went for it. Didn't get there, missed right, short and right. I was down in some stuff that you had to watch where you stepped. I and, didn't know there was a short and right there. Yeah, there was. They're, they're about this much, about, <laughs> about this, about this much earth. That if I if I misstepped to my right, I was down there. The goats would find me in a couple of days. Uh, very much like seventeen at Castle Course. Uh, knock one over the green, nippy spinner up and down. It was it was fun. It was one of those. It gave you, I like a hero risk reward. Um, I made, I made that unnecessarily hard on myself. Um, but I felt, you know, the, there were a few places where I felt challenged on the course, like in, where they're you know presented kind of an obvious, like you said, Fred, you kind of got to pick your own adventure. You could play conservative around there. You could scrape it around on the ground. I mean, it's, it's magnificent golf ground. If you, if we had a, a windier day and had to knock punch shots that ran out, that would be great. Um, but it didn't. The next question I wanted to throw to you, Fred, did it, the gorse aside, you know, the, the movement of the land and the visuals, did it look or feel like Scotland much to you? Like that was, I think, the original mission was to, if Pete Dye, if, if Mr. Uh, Kohler told Pete Dye to make Whistling Straits look like Ireland, I think. The anecdotally, uh, abandoned dunes was supposed to look like Scotland. Um, I I want to say yes to that question, Dave, but part of me part of me uh, says it it resembled it. I think that's probably the best I could answer it. it there's there's parts that resemble it. Um, but it, I believe that it was you, uh, maybe Matt earlier said that it's an interesting blend between, um, between, um, uh, courses that we play over here. The, the, maybe it's just the setup or the routing, but, um, there's, there's parts that, that make you feel like it's, it's a course you've played before. And then there's times where you, you'll hit the ball and it'll, it'll run out for, you know, 30, 40 yards in the fairway. And, uh, and you're like, okay, well that reminded me of Scotland or, you know, you, you're in the middle of the fairway and there's nothing in front of you and you can play a hundred yard shot, you know, five or five or six different ways into the green. And then we were just talking about 17. I, I played it more concert. Yeah. I played it more conservative and hit it out, you know, to the, to the left a little more. And I had that pop that, that bunker that was right in front of me. And, and that's very reminiscent of other courses that we play, you know, stateside where you have to fly the ball over things. Um, so I will say that there are times that, that yes, it, it, 
you know, obviously I made connections to a lot of the uh, courses we played in, in Scotland. I've mentioned that a couple of times, but I never felt like I was in Scotland. Um, it was, it was reminiscent at times, but I think it's, it's very distinct and it's, it's own, it's own thing out there. Matt, did you have any deja vu? There were, there were just like I did with sheep ranch and Bandon trails where I felt, I felt other core Crenshaw holes, like a small sense of deja vu. Did you get any of that at Bandon dunes? Um, having played another course from the, the same guy that wasn't totally dissimilar. So I would say the deja vu that I had, and I did have some very similar to what Fred said, it, it was in the elements of things, right? It wasn't in the overall feel, but it would be a hole here that reminded me of, of you know, for instance, um, there was a hole in the middle that maybe perhaps nine uh, at Bandon Dunes that reminded me of 17 at Ely. That one with the houses along the left, it's, it's a long par five um with the road the road with the houses on the left coming back before you crossed over to take 18 back to the clubhouse and it, that had just that sort of rumpled up and down it was like you hit a you hit a ball and it it just it's like it's riding a roller coaster up and down the whole the whole way on a long hole um so you know i got that feel i got some of the dunes reminded me like you said of 16 at jubilee right um the you know we already made the comparison to 17 at the castle uh the bunkering i found there were some elements that reminded me of the old course where it's like there was just a bunker sitting right in the freaking middle right exactly where you would want to hit it and it's not it's not in like menacing it's just there and it's in your head and you're like i it, it's not that big but i'm gonna hit it if i hit it there um so there were definitely a lot of elements that seemed to be pulled from the courses we played in Scotland. But like Fred said, I didn't I didn't ever get the feeling like I'd been dropped in over there. This is like an American Scottish course. You know, I think that's really fair. The I did a stroll poll a while back and I need to tally it up and had people kind of rank their courses. And I don't believe that this that the Bandon Dunes course was anybody's favorite, but I don't think anybody's least favorite either. So maybe the least polarizing of any of them. Um, you know, you could have you could have a group of Pacific Dunes courses. You could have a collection of courses like Bandon Trails. You know, Bandon Trails and Sheep Ranch really complement. Could you have would do you think it would work to have other courses with that same feel, that same vibe as Bandon Dunes, where it's wide, but it challenges you? It's all the interest is in the greens. The bunkering goes from penal to strategic. Um, could you, would the resort work if it was a bunch of Bandon Dunes courses? Fred? Um, I, I I have to say I have to say no. Um and and I uh so I, I get I, I understand that you know we're talking about how you know um the banded dunes you, you get that feeling of everything is wide and it's a little shorter and it's more fun. 
Um, now I think the four of us played together, right? Who or the three of no, us? No. I'm sorry. I got the, I got the high handicapper. So you guys, it was okay. you and John Mark and Chad, which was you know four pretty comparable golfers. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say to that point, I had the super high handicap group with me, and we had no problem getting around. We weren't we weren't on the clock. Um, the guys, you know, the, the guys were able to get around, they, they, you know, they scraped it, but it's big enough. And there were enough hills that even if they topped one, it was so dry that the ball yeah. ran out a hundred, 150 yeah. yards. So they were really advancing down the fairway. You had to, you really had to lose one laterally with a bat, you know, into another fairway or into, you know, whatever Heather or Gorse was keeping you from a different fairway to really lose a ball and get slowed down. So, you know, there was a, a super high playability factor there. Now having the caddies obviously helps too. Yeah. Yeah. Keep guys on track, but um, I I think the playability worked. And if it was, it was 15 years ago where that we still had a bunch of hard golf courses everywhere else, a bunch of band, you know, a collection of three or four band and dunes. I will say, obviously I'm missing, I completely whiffed on this. McClay kid did mammoth dunes too at sand Valley which is the widest golf course on earth. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, so I, 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 I will set that up for next, but now continue on yeah. there, Fred. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, uh, I'm going to do some of the comparison that from recent, like professional golf and stuff, you know, we kind of, we were in that like bomb and gouge kind of era, right. Where everybody hits it as far as possible. And, you know, they have a wedge in their hand and they just, you know, hit it on the middle of the green still can, you know, put some spin on it and everything else. Even though, even though that course was short, I never got the feeling. I mean, even with, with, um, um, uh, Mark in the group, right. Or, uh, John Mark in the group, uh, he wasn't like, you know, up by every green, you know? So when I keep saying that, you know, we're, when we keep referring to like, Hey, it's wide and it's shorter and stuff. I mean, I don't want to like mislead folks and say that, you know, it's a really short course and, you know, you don't need half your clubs. Believe me, I hit every iron in my bag multiple times. Um, it, it, um, it, it, it's kind of misleading. I feel like that when we keep saying this and the listeners are like, Oh, it must be short and you can just run the ball wherever you want. I didn't get that feeling. And I mean, Matt is when Matt gets into one, Matt can hit it a long way as well. And Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I don't believe any of us in that first group were like, you know, always up around the green on the par fours or everybody's, you know, trying to hit it close or hit it on in two on some of the par fives. I mean, some of those par fives were legit three shot holes. I mean, I know for me, but I'm asking for your, your opinion as well. Oh, why do you think I was swinging so damn hard? (laughs) Yeah, no, there was, you know, full circle. it, It was, it was right. It was plenty challenging. It was not anything that I ever felt like it was, it was not driver wedge game by any stretch. Well, no, you know, it, and that's interesting because I'm, I've got the scorecards out in front of me and we played at that course at about 60, 62 to 6,300 yards scorecard yardage on the front. So here are the par fours, 352, 362, 400. That's the number one handicap hole. Number five. Um, and then 372 and 342, right? Back, the, the again, just the par four distances. 340, 351, 332, 345, 375. The elevation, there's so much sneaky elevation yeah. 
there. And then that wind, just accounting for that wind, like you said, if you don't, the, the trick in the wind is you don't have to hit it low. You don't have to run in there. You just have to hit it flush. Like that's what yeah. I learned in Scotland. You just have to make yeah. dead solid, perfect contact and the ball go wherever you want it to. And that was the, you know, if you didn't a little bit, the the conditions, the elements really, really put it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree there. Um, but I, I don't think I answered your question. And to be honest with you, I don't remember the question. That's but, okay. Just um, talk. <laughs> but but I think testing gold. <laughs> but I think that goes back to what we were saying. It, it it you know not set up as a true links course, right? So you you didn't have it, you know, the wind at your back and in your face every time. It was that that quartering wind, like off of your off your shoulder, right? Um, that that really really makes a difference out there, especially when. I felt like you had as much room as you did out there. Um, and I, I think that comes from the fact that there's like nothing else out there, right? There's not a lot of trees. You don't have that, that, that corridor, right? So you're looking out and you can see six or seven other holes. Um, and, and it's not a big deal. Uh, I think I've said this to Matt before, you know, we, we play some courses, you know, um, on the, uh, on the east side of, of Ohio that have a lot of trees. Right. Um, and in the, where I grew up in the courses that I grew up playing, I remember, I used to judge courses by saying, Hey, you know, you can't see another hole for when you're playing this hole, because, you know, I grew up playing the old shooting gallery, right. You know, you, you're going to play this par four and right beside you coming back is a par five and you better keep your head up or you're going to get one in the chicklets. Right. Need a helmet um, on the weekends. Right, exactly. And and going out there, you can see multiple other holes, right? But it's 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 not a big deal. You know, it there's there's so much room and there's nothing to give you that contrast or that um that uh depth perception that you might have by saying, Okay, aim at that tree. And and that is a that is a big similarity to the golf that we played in Scotland though, too. So maybe that's where that connection comes in that Matt and I were, were, were talking about. You know, the, the, the question, the original question was, would a whole resort full of abandoned dunes work? And we kind of danced around that. That might be a bad question, but remembering that uh, just a couple of years ago, you know, mammoth dunes at sand Valley was the same, the same architect. And I, uh, you know, that course, the widest fairways in the world, you know, that was his, he had uh, McClay kid had kind of gone in the doghouse with it amongst the, the Illuminati because castle course got really hard. And some of his private course commissions were, you know, he started trending towards difficulty um, I guess in response to criticism. And then he's come back and kind of come full circle mammoth dunes. And he's getting ready to do one of gamble sands out there in the West uh, mm -hmm. in Washington. Um, so Matt, just for a little bit of what you remember from the big elephant course in Wisconsin, you know, the, I remember that course being wide. the bunkers in the native areas looked very similar. Um, there were more places I think to get into kind of giggle trouble. Um, you know, John Mark famously going back and forth and back and forth to like the 15th green that, that par five there. Um, he wouldn't putt it. He wouldn't Texas wedge it. And it, it, he just kept playing ping pong. I'll never forget that. But there were, 
I felt like that course in Wisconsin, another one of the of the uh, Kaiser's resorts, there was a little more risk reward, a little more explicit risk reward premium. I felt like it that element was much more muted at Bandon Dunes, and I, I'd just like to get your thoughts there. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, saying that there's carnival aspects at Mammoth Dunes might be going a little too far, but the as you called it the giggle aspect yes i think there was a lot more of that there than there was at bandon bandon is a little bit more i guess i'd call it straight laced um and i'm actually going to use that to unlike your other guest i am actually going to answer your question that you asked and <laughs> he just flipped me off for those people that can't see the uh the video here um no it's i will tell you exactly why fred is wrong in this particular please case. do and please do and yeah. I, well it's, I, I do it all the time and I'll, I'll do it again now um no it would it absolutely would work would it work as well as what they've got out there right now no um the you know the variability of the different courses is definitely a plus for them out there but if you had a bunch of courses that were like Bandon Dunes, I mean, hell, you could take Bandon and rotate it 90 degrees and put it on the next piece of park property over, and it would be different enough that it, it would it would bring people back. And, and the reason is Bandon is middle of the road in the best possible ways. It is hard enough that the really good golfers need to play really well to score well. And so you'll always have plenty of challenge there. But you also, for the for the guys, the higher handicappers, if they don't play real well, it's probably not going to be a miserable experience. It's probably going to be something they can, like you said, they can top it and it runs 150 yards and they can still get around. And so you're going to have a bunch of really good, maybe not – you know, maybe it doesn't have whatever hook that Pacific Dunes has, or it's not like trails at all. Um, but it's it's just really good. And it's good for the guys that shoot low. And it's not so hard for the guys that shoot high that it's going to be miserable. And I think you could go out day after day on that course if you turned it 90 degrees and get a different enough challenge that guys are going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And so, you know, it's that middle of the road factor that separates it from, from Mammoth Dunes, right? That's like you said, it's more muted, but I think that's actually what plays into its strengths is that it is just a damn good golf course that's right down the middle. I'm in violent agreement with that. That's why they could host a U.S. Open there or a U.S. Amateur with the highest level amateurs in the world. And then you can have it booked a year and a half, two years in advance because guys, the whole the rest of the world can find a way to make bogey on almost all those holes. Like you can play bogey golf and have a lot of fun at a place like Bandon Dunes. Um, the uh, trying to think. Like I said, I had fun. I had the highest handicap of our group. It was me and and three guys that were getting between eighteen and probably thirty shots um, on the dots on the card. That's always interesting. 
So competitively, I, I started, I didn't have a chance as soon as it, it started. Um, but it was a place that it was enjoyable. It was relaxing. There was, like you said, there weren't a lot of trees uh, or targets without, without caddies. It, I ran into the problem that I did at Forest Dunes Loop Course is that I did not have the eye discipline to pick a target and really commit. Like it's wide open enough. You get this scent, this relaxing, this sense of relaxation on the tee. And all of a sudden when that's, that's when the lateral uh, problems begin. So um, I thought it was great. It was a nice vibe. It was, you know, kind of right in the middle of the pack. It's probably, it might be the one that I feel like I need another crack at, you know, my, I was, I was giving up so many strokes to the guys, you know, I, I get, I played, admittedly, I played too much with my head down on that course. You know, I, I was giving up too many strokes. I was trying to be, to fight and be competitive. And I think by the time I'd lost about 15, I relaxed. And that's when I really had fun on those closing holes. You know, all my, all my dams, all my give a dams were broken. So I, sure. Why not go for it on 16 and just see what happens. Uh, let's see how far I can hit it down there, down next to the Canyon on 17 without getting in trouble. Let's try to carry that cross bunker on 18, which I didn't, you know, that I paid a penalty, you know, end up coming in with not a great score to, to close it out, but had a lot of fun because it was, there were clear risk reward options on those holes. And I took on the risks and even though I didn't get the reward, it didn't feel unfair. It felt utterly fair. Like this was the bet I made. Now I've got to lay in it, um, which is fine. That's really all I want out of a golf course in a, semi-competitive situation um and one last thing before you know, if you had any last thoughts on the golf course uh, uh you know speak now or forever hold your peace in digital time and space um but otherwise i wanted to touch on something kind of bringing back a little bit to our first episode in this series um one of the things that i noticed thinking about about the band dunes course is that the in the fair in the pub fair that we had that we visited, there was a ton of, now, you know me, I'm not a beer drinker anymore. I've retired from that game, but there were a bunch of things you guys were ordering stuff that I'd never heard of. And it seemed like it was a lot of it was local. Um, was there anything on tap or in a bottle there that really stood out? Like if you weren't, if you weren't in band in Oregon that you would ordered and said, Hey, that was, a, I made a good decision. I'll take a second one of those. And yes, Matt Cheney, I, I realize the fifth one always tastes really well. So take that aside. Well, those those were Mexican. That that, <laughs> that, that doesn't count. You can get Pacificos anyway. <laughs> so I gotta be I gotta be a little uh, honest. Um, I I don't remember like anything specific, like name wise. Um, you know, I, I I'm I I don't know if it's still considered to be a beer snob or not, but I'm a big fan of, you know, the, uh, the IPA. So, um, usually that's, that's where I start and where I hang out for a while and where I finish. Um, so it was good. I don't know the name of it though. Um, I would always ask, you know, where we were at, you know, it's like, um, I'll, I, the first place we went, I said, yeah, can I get an IPA in there? Yeah, we have this one. I was like, just give me something local. And I kind of hung with that for a while, for most of the time until I discovered those, whatever those pineapple things were, which were delicious. But um, that's a whole nother podcast. That what, was down. that a slushy? What a pineapple thing? Oh, 
was it a high noon? Like, I uh, think it, it was a high noon. Man, I never thought I'd be like one of like a seltzer kind of guy, but holy crap, man. Those well, things were delicious. <laughs> it was bright and sunny and it wasn't too cold. And that lines up real well for, you know, pineapple seltzer. <laughs> I mean, apparently, I, I don't, you know, I didn't, allegedly. right. I, I remember, you know, the look on my, uh, the caddy's face when I come walking out of there and I had a bag full of them and, and I had one in each hand and <laughs> grocery bag too. It wasn't like a little bag. Yeah. Like, she had to like, go in the back for, I think it was like somebody's lunch. Like they like, like door dashed lunch there or something, and it was they like took the lunch out. They filled it with with pineapple stuff, right? And, and I remember John John Mark. He had the push cart, and he's like, "I got I got room in the cooler," so I apparently took that as, "Hey, he's gonna carry me. He's gonna sherpa my beer for me." And the look on his face <laughs> when I had them all lined up on that on that concrete <laughs> flower bed, I was like lining them up. He's like, uh, he's like, looked at me, and I was like, I got some pineapple. He's like, did you really? He's like, you expect me to fit all these in my cart? I was like, uh, well, I got two right here. You need uh, you to drink your schnapps there, Fred. Oh, uh, yeah. So, like, <laughs> he had so many beer. <laughs> he, had, he had beer shoved everywhere in that bag of his. And, and, uh, my, caddy's look on his face when i came out with that bag he's like where where do you think we're gonna do with those because <laughs> he wasn't carrying them <laughs> and i'm glad i didn't put them in my bag because matt that was when we were down a caddy so we had to yep. carry our own bag for a while and i would have been pissed if I didn't carry all oh. those things back <laughs> oh, you man. On the side of 13 and had three yeah i, I would have been like i got a light in the load i'll play in with the guys right. behind us yeah, that was rough. Uh, maybe that's why the front nine doesn't really ring very clear yeah, to me anymore. No, no wonder you don't have specific memories of this book. I remember one, but it gets real fuzzy until it gets to fifteen. That, right. yeah. you, you, you birdied the second hole, that first par three. Shut up! Yeah, you really did. Holy shit! That, that was the one that more. that was the one that was straight up the mountain. Like it was, it you you went. It reminded me it. The only thing that it was like was like that straight uphill one over on uh, Bannon Preserve. Like it was like a six iron straight up. You couldn't see the group. The pin was in the front. Um, that was the one my group struggled with. I got on the green and everybody else kind of sprayed it short into the the heather. Clay had no chance. Uh, I think <laughs> Brian, Brian missed in this like pit of czar like bunker short left he took three strikes and just hand wedged it out and called it a day um i think that was my only skin but yeah fred you you somehow got a two on that so i'm assuming you made the made a putt yeah, yeah matt do you remember that 155 straight up the hill there's no way that's 155 it's 155 going on 260 right that was there was like 60 feet of elevation change yeah yeah hmm. But, yeah, if I remember correctly, Fred. Yeah, you you hit it. You hit it well, but you didn't you didn't stick it super close. And then you you know you're that guy that runs in a thirty footer on the second hole. So the question is, did I have a beer with me on the green, or did I have a pineapple thing, or did I? I have imagine the... you did. I, I don't remember any holes where you didn't. Oh, that's a jerk move. <laughs>
Matt, was there any liquid refreshment of note uh, on course or off at Bandon Dunes? Yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll get beer snobby on you here a little bit. Um, the Oregon out in Oregon, they do they do medium hoppy very well. Um, they do. I mean, don't get me wrong; they'll they'll have punchy in the face IPAs and stuff like that too. Um, the the Bandon Pale. We drank a lot of, um, and the sheep ranch, I think it was a sheep mm. ranch lager, maybe, um, we drank a lot of. The, the jokes for um, the sheep, just she, if you name sheep in a beer name, that the jokes just really write themselves. Yes. That, that has know. to be the world's best beer or else. Oh, right. <laughs> well, it was, it was plenty good. Uh, I do remember and- that one, too. Yeah. Good job, yeah, man. No, we, those those were the two. The, the abandoned pale and the and, and again, it's they weren't overpowering, um, but they you know had enough had enough bite to keep you interested. Um, that's that's a type of beer that Oregon tends to do pretty darn well. Um, and th- that's from a they were both from local places around there. Maybe both they might have been from the same one, Hot Valley, I think. Um, but yeah, so that would be my recommendation if you're going out there. It's, uh, you know, it's it's easy drinking, but still will keep you interested. There you have it, folks. And just by way of reference, I do this podcast. Matt, at various times, has experimented with, with fermenting his own beer. Brett, if we can just get you, like, smoking meats on a big green egg, we got the dad holy trinity right there. I mean, we can have it covered. Just We're just one, one middle-aged crisis. I'm uh I'm all about you know doing my part, so we'll get on that. All right, appreciate it. Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. Bandon Dunes turns 25 years young in 2024, and it holds up quite nicely, to be honest with you. There's so much width in the plain corridors, yet so much fine detail on and around the greens that the course should be fun for everyone for the foreseeable future and beyond when we were there in the middle of the summer dry season it was magnificent as tee shots rolled out in all directions and the firm turf gave us options which is all i really want in a golf course remember if you want to elevate your blind shots podcast experience head on over to the one bearded golfer channel on youtube to catch a fun snippet or two of the show not enough people tune in for the videos Uh, for Google to make any money off of me. So have a free look and enjoy the righteous satisfaction of sticking it to the man. Most importantly, I hope you enjoyed what you heard here today. If you didn't enjoy this episode, I'm sorry. We'll try to do better next time. Sit up straight, drink lots of water, and as always, when you have the choice, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. Uh, don't forget to weigh yourselves tomorrow to get into the contest. What contest? You didn't you didn't look at the group chat today, did you, Fred? No. Why are you drinking moonshine? Get right with the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> I mean, tea. David, David, I don't know that I'm allowed in this contest. I have such a head start on all of you it's guys. It's a perc- like, it's a percentage thing. Yes, exactly. And one percentage of me is like half of one of you people. <laughs> Brian says he's plus 20 since Thanksgiving.
<laughs> so there's head starts all around, brother. Fair enough. Brett, Brett, we're gonna have a fattening contest since since we're not we don't have to get in shape to walk these Michigan rounds this year. We're going the other direction. We're getting out of shape. So we're gonna weigh oh. ourselves tomorrow, and they're gonna weigh ourselves um, in Michigan, and percentage winner gets the big prize. Yeah. Emphasis on big. Great. This will be the one time I lose weight. <laughs> you know what? That's that's fine. Buck the system. Right. Um, I want to be a winner, Dave. I'll bring my radar too. You can we'll do swing speeds. Oh, that's another yeah. loss. It's <laughs> racking them up. <laughs> a putting contest, Freddie. Don't worry about it. It chipping. It'll be chipping. We'll have a little short chipping game. Chipping contest? Oh, that, yeah, there you go. All little right. little right. nippy spinner out of that that northern Michigan sand. Though I did take Mr. May in the very last chipping contest that we were a part of. I won I won four dollars or three dollars from the other three guys in the group. He did. Sneaky. It's a beautiful, beautiful shot. That's right. And then I had to walk down the hill to collect all the balls. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, gravity wins. Gravity remains oh, undefeated. <laughs>